G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Drybra. Of course you can call me Brad, and I'm bloody excited because today we're here for a solo potty. The solos always go well. I keep saying it, but people seem to love them. And I don't know that it's exactly like I get heaps more views or heaps more listens. It's more so just the the feedback is very personal. And the feedback is that, I guess, these challenges I feel I have at certain points in my life or these ideas and thoughts and feelings that arise within me um, somewhat resonate with a whole lot of you, which is, I think that's, you know, just a nod to the human experience. We all tend to feel like we're in our own bubbles with our own very unique challenges. And whilst they are unique, um, they often follow similar trends and similar patterns. So, you know, I feel very privileged that I can somewhat be vulnerable on here and connect with all of you. So thank you so much if you're listening to these solos. Thank you so much if you're listening to the podcast at all. Um, As you know, these episodes usually run a little quicker. Um, We aim for around 20 or so minutes. So I'm going to jump straight into it. And, you know, it's been a whirlwind two months. It's been bloody busy. We had Melbourne Marathon, um, which was incredible. Absolutely smashed my PB, smashed my goal, but it wasn't that simple, I guess. It was you know, there was a feeling, you know, we went down there for a week. Well, I did anyways, and got down there a couple of days before the run. Done a, the eight and a half hour shift in the car with two of my best mates, Joey Plum and Ty Grieve. And we just had the bloody, like, this is why it's so important to surround yourself with good people and people you feel like you can be honest, real and genuine with. When I say that we had eight hours of the rawest, deepest, most vulnerable conversation on the way down... And every one of us walked away saying that was potentially the highlight of the trip. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm not exaggerating. It was such a good time just chatting to the boys and having that time space and just focus for that eight hours just to chat about life and check in with each other and, you know, bounce ideas off each other and how we were feeling and, you know, the directions we're moving in. And I just feel so blessed to have so many good people in my life. You know, and that, that week was just filled with great people and, this great energy and you know, there's definitely an overwhelming feeling heading into Melbourne Marathon that, oh, like, you know, I haven't had the greatest prep here. You know, I've had Achilles tendonitis. I haven't been able to do my faster run, so I'm not as fit and, you know, haven't done as much, you know, running load as I would have liked to. So I don't know if I can achieve the four-hour goal that I wanted to achieve. And, you know, there was this doubt and this almost this, this out that my brain was giving me saying that, you know, well, if you just go and finish the marathon, no one's going to say, oh, we didn't run that fast because, you know, that would be quite slack, wouldn't it? You know, so just finish it and people aren't going to say anything about your time or whether you, you know, reached your goal or or pushed yourself hard enough. And then I thought, no, you know what? Fuck that. I come down here. I said I wanted to run sub four hours, so I'm going to have a fucking crack. And I'm so glad I switched that mindset. You know, I didn't let that fear overcome me because, it was such a rewarding run. You know, this was the first marathon I've done of my now three where I was completely solo the whole way. There were no mates beside me. My old man wasn't next to me on, you know, caddying me on the push bike. I held my own drink. I had my own gels. I was in my own head. I didn't listen to music. I didn't listen to podcasts. It was just me and my mind for 42.2 Ks. And not once did I hit a wall in that marathon physically or mentally. 
I got the 37 Ks and I'd been prepared for the hills, the two Ks of hills that come in the Botanic Gardens. I powered through them and dropped my group. I got to that top of the hill at 39 Ks and I started to get emotional because, and you know, this is something I talk about a lot. I felt like for two and a half years that I've been running, I've been developing this resilience, building the conditioning, not so much of my running body, but of my mind. And you know, with all of the challenges and adversity that's come with running two marathons on bleeding lungs, you know, the hospital stays, the trips to emergency, the ambulances, you know, I just continued to be tested over that two and a half years to come into this third marathon with healthy lungs, you know, to come into this marathon and go, yeah, my Achilles might feel a little bit broken, but it's still functional. I'd built this sense of resilience that at 39 Ks, when I reached the top of that hill and knew I had only three to go, emotion poured out of me because I thought I've fucking done this. And it really speaks to the power of developing that attribute of resilience, continuing to believe in yourself, continuing to rock up when life is knocking you down. You know, it's that old Rocky quote, that cliche that it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And I feel like Melbourne Marathon was a great metaphor for that. So when I crossed the line at 42.2 Ks, I was extremely emotional, a lot of tears, um, a little selfie that I sent off to my dad, my mum and my sis to let them know that I'd I'd finished, completed and smashed my goal. It was a 22-odd minute PB and, you know, six minutes quicker than I'd hoped for on the day and I was just so bloody happy and so stoked and you know, it's my encouragement to all of you that if you have goals in life, don't let fear stop you from shooting for the stars. You know, you're far better off shooting for the stars and falling a little short and knowing that you gave it a crack. I think it's quite often in life, you know, we talk about failure all the time being this imaginary made up thing. You know, there's no such thing as failure. It is, it is learning. You know, when we fall short, we learn, we adapt and we go again. Um, and this was definitely a case of understanding what needed to be adapted from the previous events going again and then feeling that that feeling of success and you know that is very rewarding so it was a bloody sensational week in Melbourne I had so much fun it was great to connect with a few mates down there who I have not seen since 2018 when I lived there so a bloody amazing time which was pretty quickly followed by a trip to to Canberra to Government House invited down there to accept an award at Government House um in the, I guess, in the presence of the Governor General and his, his wife, and you know what an what an incredible honour that was, and just such a nice feeling to be recognised for the hard work I've done within the cystic fibrosis space this last couple of years. You know, it's not why you do it; it's not the motivation or the drivers. You know, because there could potentially be an award, um, not at all. But it is it, it is a nice feeling to know that what we're doing. With 42 for CF, the money we've raised, the message that we've shared that nothing is impossible for people living with CF. Um, yeah, it it's an incredible honour. So I'm very thankful to, to the people at Government House, the people at Cystic Fibrosis Australia, the Governor-General um, and his lovely wife, Liz Hurley, who were just so supportive of me and you know gave me all the time and respect in the world. So um, I'm very thankful for that. Canberra was a, a quick trip. It was only three days and then I come home for a day and I come home for a day, settled in and packed my bag to head to the US of A, LA in New York City, 
a trip that I've been planning for a little while, but only booked a month prior um, because I am fucking hopeless at organization. And let me tell you, this trip come with its fair share of laughs, pain and learnings. Um, so originally this trip was going to be a solo expedition and then I had a mate jump on board. That mate then had a work commitment and couldn't make it. And I decided just to charge ahead. So I wake up, I want to share a story with you here. If you've ever heard me or my family talk about going on holidays, you'll pretty quickly realize that nothing ever truly goes to plan. This was definitely not an exception to that rule. Woke up the morning of the flight with an incredible pain in my foot. I had gout. My bloody right foot flared up. It's red. There's blue sections on it. I can't even stand on it, let alone barely walk. It's just in so much pain. I'd like to think I'm not a whinger. Bloody hell, I was whinging this morning. Couldn't believe it. What are the chances that you wake up the morning of a 13, 14 hour flight with gout and you just know that the pressure in the cabin ain't going to make it any better? So I bloody struggle to get my shoes on. My old man drops me to the airport. I get to the airport three hours ahead of my flight and I go, well, at least I can relax now and put my feet up. So I walk over to the United Airlines check-in and I say, G'day mate, how you going? You know, I'm heading off to bloody LA. And he goes, no worries mate, where's your passport? And I hand it over. You know, I'm standing there smiling to myself like this trip's going to be great. And then he goes, where's your visa? And I said, nah mate, I'm just going for a holiday. And he goes, yeah, so where's your visa? And I said, nah, I'm not going to work there. I'm just going for a two-week holiday. And he goes, mate, sounds like fun, but where's your visa? And I go... I don't have one. And he goes, well, that's going to be a problem. So I didn't realize due to my, um, as mentioned before, lack thereof organization that an ESTER is required to enter the country of the United States. And I said, well, mate, I'm now extremely panicking and sweating. What do I do? He says, run over there to flight center. Mind you, I was not going to be running. I was going to be hobbling. Run over there to flight center and see if you can get one approved. You might get lucky enough to get it before the flight, but you have an hour and then this flight is closed. I hobble my bloody ass over there, sit down, there's one guy in front of me and I can tell by listening to the conversation, he's going through the same problem as me. And so I'm like, okay, this is not good because if there's a few of us going through this problem, the chances of this getting solved quickly, not ideal. Now, the guy had explained to me that if I miss this flight, the next flight, I have to take a connection or I have to fly out a few days later. And I'm like, oh, this is going to cost me so much money. I sit there. I finally get my chance. I said, the lady, exactly the same situation as the guy before me. How quickly can this, we get this done? She said, I can't promise you it'll be done in time, but let's try. We smash it out. Thank the bloody Lord. Five minutes before the flight's about to close, it comes through. It's approved. I get checked in and the guy says, mate, you need to race through security because you're going to miss this flight. Everyone's boarding. It's on the other side of the airport. I'm like, fuck. Belt it as fast as I can across to the other side of the airport. I get fast track through security. I get to the plane just in time. By this point, I'm sweating. Like the idea of feeling comfortable and relaxed for the next 14 hours is completely out the window by this point. It's just survival at all costs. I get there. I get on the flight, I'm sitting next to a dude from Newey, we're having a yarn, and I'm like, all right, now I'm settled, sweet, beautiful. Flight takes off, and I think, all right, 
That's two things that have gone wrong this morning. And you know the old rule. It happens in threes. What's next? Well, maybe it was my poor manifestation. But you bloody better believe I get an email midway through the flight in the sky. Bought a bit of Wi-Fi. Just thought I'd better check in on that Airbnb that I've booked in LA. You know, they're not always as bloody reliable as a hotel. You don't have someone there waiting for you to check in. They've got to make sure I know where to get the key from, etc. And I don't want to get there stressing. Now, mind you, I was getting to LA at like 9am, 8am in the morning. And I wasn't able to check in until 4pm that afternoon. So the plan was just to bum around for a little while, relax, settle in, and then get to my Airbnb. So I jump on my email and I've got an email waiting for me from this Airbnb in Los Feliz. Now, Los Feliz was the area I picked specifically because I wanted to be close to the hills so I could do some hikes. Probably wasn't going to be happening with gout, but I could do some hikes, explore around that area. It was sort of 10, 20 minutes to everything. It just felt like the right spot. Kind of cruisy, my kind of area. I get an email. Hi, Bradley. Unfortunately, as soon as you hear that word, unfortunately, you go, fuck, what's wrong? Unfortunately, the Airbnb that you'd planned to stay in is ridden. The word ridden screams like something's wrong with bed bugs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard some fucking nightmare stories about bed bugs. The last thing that I want with two weeks of travel in the US is to be scratching like a motherfucker for the next two weeks so much so that I can't enjoy my trip. It's the last thing I want. So I see this and I go, you're kidding. Now, they've given me an option though, right? So the option is... We'd love to put you up in one of our other apartments in that building for the evening. By this point, my trust in the building is not all that high. And then tomorrow morning, we'll fumigate your apartment and you can come in at lunchtime. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like it would have been the greatest health decision to walk into an apartment after fumigated and just breathe in those fumes. Like that can't be good for you. So at this point, I'm just like, I need to just deal with this when I land because the miscommunication, the error over email, like if I send something and they cancel it and I've got nowhere to stay, I'm going to panic. So I'm like, I just need to wait until I get there. So we land, we catch a cab, me and my newfound mate on the plane to Santa Monica and we pull up in Santa Monica and we go for a coffee. By this point, I'm in so much pain with this foot, like it's just unbearable to walk. I've got a 25 kilo bag without wheels across my back and a backpack and I'm just I'm just so irritable at this point in time. I just want to punch the sky. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm a calm fella. I'm just not feeling calm at this point. I go, I just need to get an Uber out to Los Feliz area and just handle this, deal with it, just be close to this Airbnb to try and figure out this situation. I end up saying to them, can I just have this cancelled and get a refund? Because this just can't be good for my health either way. I don't want bed bugs. I also don't want to breathe in fumes. After the place has been fumigated the next day, I'll just figure out some accommodation for my next week here. They're like, yep, no worries. So they refund me and I start getting on the phone and calling and looking for every hotel I can possibly find. Now at this point, I've got like three options. The first is like the creme de la creme, like $7,000 for the week. I cannot afford that. I barely got $7,000 to spend for the bloody trip, let alone for the next week in one hotel. I'm going, that is not going to happen. Their next option is something that looks somewhat of a tent, like somewhat of a tent in downtown. And I'm like, I also am now extremely vigilant for the fact that bed bugs seem to get around this area. 
that looks like the kind of place that would have bed bugs. So I'm freaking out. I thankfully find one hotel that's kind of like middle, it's kind of like a middle class hotel, right? It's called the Citizen Inn. Ends up being bloody beautiful. Cost me like an extra 1500 bucks than I was hoping to spend, but I'm like, at least I'm comfortable and safe for the week. You know, it's in downtown. Well, downtown is down from town, right? It can't be that far away from everything else. So I'll book it. I book this hotel on an hour's notice for the next week and I call an Uber to get myself over there. Now at this point I'm starting to go, bloody hell these Ubers are expensive. It's costing me like 100 to 200 Aussie every time I jump in a bloody Uber at this point. Everything is so spread out in LA. Now I get in this Uber and the first thing, you know, me being somewhat of an Aussie slingman when I talk, the Uber driver goes, Oh, mate, you're Aussie, aren't you? And I go, yeah. And he goes, do you live here or are you here on holiday? And I go, just here on holiday for the week. And he goes, whatever you do, if you're staying in the area that I'm dropping you off, do not walk around at the evening, in the evening, I should say, by yourself. And I go, why? And he goes, it's not safe when you want out. And I'm like, you know, surely this bloke's exaggerating. Like, I'm a bloody big strong man. He's starting to sound like my mother. I pull up get into the hotel, it's time to go out to dinner that night, so as I go out and I get in the next Uber, she goes, oh, is that an Aussie accent, and I said, yeah, and she goes, whatever you do, mate, if you're here on holiday, do not walk around after dinner by yourself, now at this point, I'm starting to go, where the fuck have I booked to stay, (laughs) because I don't know about you, but I walk around of an evening any night of the week in Wollongong and I never feel unsafe. I could be anywhere in Oz walking around at 2am in the morning and I feel safe. I feel secure. I'm starting to think like, what the bloody hell have I done? And I could kind of understand it's pretty hectic and pretty confronting there. Um, But whilst I didn't love LA, I had some good experiences there, but the week itself come with some pain. And when I say pain, let me explain. That rhymed. Um... The pain was that I was journaling every day. Now, when I go away, I tend to journal and read a lot. I think just the the time and, you know, no expectation of like, I'm supposed to be doing this for work or I'm supposed to be working at this or doing this or training there or doing that. I just don't have expectation on my shoulders. So I spend a lot of time in reflection, a lot of time reading. And I was journaling every day about this concept of an ideal life. You know, this concept of an ideal life is something I got from Jay Shetty someone who you've probably heard me talk about on the podcast a little bit. If you haven't actually listened to or watched any of Jay Shetty's work, I highly suggest that you do that. He's an incredible mind, a real thought leader in his space. And Jay talks about this idea of what an ideal life looks like to him and like working on that, working through that for yourself. And so as I sat down and started to write about this, I realized that there's probably four pillars to an ideal life for me. The first is my health. The second is my people. The third is my work. And the fourth is my environment. Now, health has to be the number one priority for me and for you because health is the foundation of it all. Without your health, you have nothing. Without your health, your people don't matter. Without your health, you don't have energy or time to give to work. Without your health, it does not matter what your environment looks like. It will not help you. So you need to focus on your health. And health really breaks into three sections. There's the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. And the spiritual is different for everyone. You know, some people have religious practices. Um, You know, some like things like yoga, meditation. Um, 
there's other forms of spirituality that make them feel topped up and energized and like they they're in touch with themselves and I think that's a really important part of it whilst I would say I'm not incredibly religious I have somewhat a religious practice of praying every night which is probably more of a spiritual thing for me essentially like it's just a connection with myself and just you know an intention that I put out there to look after the people that I love and to keep us safe healthy happy and protected at all times um, but then when I look at my mental health, I think mental health is something that, you know, we're, be- we're beginning to speak about as a society much more. And, you know, I'm so happy to hear and, and be involved in, in some of those conversations. And, you know, when I consider mental health, I, I consider that one of the last episodes on this podcast, um, Connor Sahaley talking about building the resilience and the armor required to handle challenges when they're thrown at you. I think of Cooper Chapman, and his work at the Good Human Factory, where he speaks about, you know, mental health being something that is quite often considered, you know, just an issue for people who are struggling, but it's actually something that we all have. We all have mental health, right? And Coop talks about that. He talks about, you know, building up that self-esteem, building that mental toolbox of things that you can go to when those times are tough and, you know, working on your mental health for the positive, not just when it's in the negative um, and then the other aspect, the last as- aspect of health is, you know, physical. And actually, before I touch on physical, I say I think an important part of mental as well is your education, you know, like listening to, to good things, reading good things, watching good things, you know, those things that fill your cup, make you more informed on who you are as a human being, on the world, on society, on culture. And so I think learning is a big part of our health too. Um, but yeah, to come back to physical you know, for me, physical is a big part of it. Keeping my lungs healthy, looking after my CF. I love going for a trot. I love getting in the gym, you know, our sleep, all of these important factors, you know, that health has to be the number one priority. So my takeaway from health is I like to spend an hour a day. That works for me, doing something good for my health. Whatever it looks like for you, just spend some time every day considering it, working on it. That second pillar is my people. If you know me, you know I love my family to death. They say you can't choose your family, but if you could, I'd pick mine every day of the week. They are my nearest and dearest. They are the most important thing to me in this life. I love them so dearly, and they are a big part of my my happiness. They are a big part of the meaning that I have in this life, and they are definitely huge anchors of support for me. You know, within that, there is my also my inner circle of friends, those 10 closest friends who I go to, to give my value, who I know come to me with their own, who support me through my challenges and are there to enjoy my successes with me. It's my people who have such an effect on my weeks, my years. They're a big part of, you know, my happiness. So that's really important to me. My work, my work is my third pillar. It has to have some meaning and purpose, which is why I do what I do now. You know, my work is my opportunity to affect good on the world and my opportunity to somewhat create a sustainable lifestyle for myself. Um, That's probably one of the challenges that come up through this time in in LA and New York, going, bloody hell, this trip's costing me a fortune because of the dollar. I'm not really making any money at all at the moment. I need to work on that aspect of my work, you know, making it more financially sustainable. You know, that will allow me to feel somewhat at ease with the life that I'm living. The fourth pillar is my environment. And I think environment has such an effect on the top three pillars. I consider my time in Melbourne in 2018 in somewhat of a toxic environment um, because of the situation I was in. 
without my people and my health suffered for it, my relationship suffered for it, my work suffered for it. Now, every aspect of your life is affected by the environment. Your environment is the place that you call home, the place where you go and feel safe, secure, like you can check back in with yourself. I didn't have a great relationship with my home there. The people you surround yourself with and whether they give energy to you or they take it away from you. And I didn't feel as though I had many people who filled my cup and topped me up in Melbourne, outside of a few who I'm very thankful for and they know who they are. So I look at those four pillars and I think they are such a big part of my life. And as I was looking ahead to 2023, some of you might have heard me speak about this idea that I may have moved overseas next year, may have, you know, flown the coop and tested myself in a new environment. So as I started to work on these four pillars and look at them and consider them and ride on them, I realized that my environment and my people, which really is determined by where you live, have such an effect on my health and my work. And I have so intentionally and thoughtfully crafted my life here in the last two and a half years in Australia, particularly in Wollongong, that I'm so thankful for those things. And somewhat we can take them for granted when we have them at our disposal every day, being away by myself in solitude with time to think made me appreciate that more than ever. So, you know, it actually changed my mind about moving next year. I've worked really hard to create this environment and to craft the connections I have with my people, you know, and I, I want to cherish those into these next few years. So um, luckily for you guys, I'm here to stay, hey. But as I, I guess as I went through that trip and started to, to read more, write more, come to grips with these ideas, I just realized how bloody lucky I am and how thankful I am for the life I have crafted here at home. There was a bit of a piece that I wrote on my last day of the trip and I had an amazing time in, in New York and I was sitting there having a coffee on my last day and I want to read you a little bit of something that I wrote, which was kind of a reflection on the last two and a half years and where I'm at. So here goes. I was journaling this morning, which has been a consistent theme of my mornings in the US, and I was reflecting on just how blessed I am at this point in my life. Two and a half years ago, I was upset, unfulfilled, and I felt like I'd wandered down the wrong path in life. I'd lost touch with my health and my CF was getting worse every year. I worked a great paying job with people I love, but I didn't have purpose in the work I was doing anymore, and that left me unhappy and angry at the world. Whilst I always projected happiness on the surface, I remember sitting in my car before or after work in tears because I just felt so lost and I took out that internal anger on the people I love by being short, shitty and rude, which upset me because that's not who I am. After a scary experience with my health and a six-month journey figuring out what I wanted for myself, I was encouraged to read a book called The Alchemist. The Alchemist is the story of a boy named Santiago who feels bound by his life as a shepherd until he has a dream of finding a great treasure at the pyramids. He sells his sheep, leaves Europe to pursue his great treasure in Africa, only to realise that the treasure is where he once spent his time under a sycamore tree at the old church in Spain. The day I finished reading that book is the day I quit my job. I had no plan, I just knew what I wanted for my life. I threw myself into the podcast and it made a man out of me. I shared my story vulnerably for the first time and it connected me to so many. The incredible guests who share their story and philosophy have taught me a great deal about life and what it means to live well. The potty has opened my eyes and heart to the power of serving others and through that learning, 
42 for CF was born. And with 42 for CF, I've taken control of my health again. Having run three marathons and raised over 100,000 in the time is something I'm incredibly proud of. All in all, the last two and a half years have reminded me of the dreams I had as a young kid to change the world or at least leave it a better place than I found it. To make my family proud and show them that all they've sacrificed for me to be here alive and thriving in spite of my CF is what will allow me to leave my mark on the world. In The Alchemist, it's said that Santiago would not have found his treasure was it not for the journey, but I actually believe that there wasn't any treasure at all. The treasure is the quest, the people you meet and the ones you love, the reason and meaning for waking up in the morning, the growth along the way. I owe all of who I am today to the quest of the last two and a half years. Without it, I honestly don't know who or where I'd be. I've found my treasure. It's who I am. It's in my people. It's the air in my lungs. It's what I do. It's all around me. If you look closely, I know that you'll find your treasure too. And with that, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's podcast. I encourage you in all you do in life to ask yourself who you are, what you want, and then go on the quest of figuring out how you get there. That is what this life is about. You are more powerful and more capable than you know. And whilst it has been my absolute privilege to go on this journey myself for the last two and a half years, I honestly hope that what we discuss here on the podcast can encourage you to do the same. Much love. Thank you for listening. Have a bloody blessed afternoon, day, evening, whenever you're listening to this. Goodbye.